Hello and welcome to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. How many hours a week do you work? Would you like to work more or fewer? And how does your work time affect the rest of your life, your family and social commitments, your mental and physical health? All these issues came into the spotlight during the COVID-19 crisis, when working patterns changed radically worldwide. It generated what might be called a great rethink about when and how we work. Working time issues have been at the heart of the ILO since its foundation. Indeed, the first ever ILO convention in 1919 was on working time. Now, a new ILO report looks not only at working time, but also at the much-discussed issue of work-life balance. Its lead author, John Messenger, is my guest today. John, welcome and congratulations on the new report, Working Time and Work-Life Balance Around the World. Thank you very much, Sophie. Pleasure to be with you. Let me jump straight in. The One of the things that you say in the report is that reduced and more flexible working hours can, and that's an important word, can benefit work-life balance and productivity. So why don't we start with having you unpack that a little? Okay. Well, I mean... There's some, there's some issues that come out very much from the report. For example, that there's a third of the global workforce, slightly over a third, that's working long hours, more than 48 hours a week. And yet there's also about a fifth of the global workforce, 20%, that are working shorter part-time hours. So in other words, first of all, kind of the average classical 40-hour work week isn't typical for most of the world's workforce. So you've got to think about the long hours and the short hours and their implications. I mean... And that's where you really get into some of these issues because when you're really working long hours, you have a lot of challenges with with work-life balance. It's much harder to be able to achieve work-life balance. Um, That's where reduced working hours can come in handy. When you're working very short hours, then you might have an issue with earning enough money, being able to support yourself and your family, in fact, being underemployed. So really, the potential here is if you can both reduce working hours and be able to make them more flexible such that workers are able to organize their work schedules in line with their personal needs, then you have the possibility of having this win-win. I don't think many workers are going to um, disagree with you on the issue of you know, flexible working hours. But the question of improved productivity... Tell me a little bit more about that. What's the evidence for improved productivity and uh, and better performance for businesses? Okay. First of all, it's a myth, a very commonly believed myth, but still a myth that long working hours are highly productive. In fact, we know, I mean, that long working hours are not very productive and those countries and those organizations working the longest hours tend to have lower levels of productivity whereas countries and organizations who are working shorter hours have higher levels of productivity. Why is that? Because when you work long hours, you become more and more fatigued, fatigue, stress, and sort of you're diminishing, economists call it marginal, uh, or declining marginal productivity. Declining marginal productivity simply means that you, 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 you get less and less productive as you work more and more. I mean, so reducing working hours has the potential to increase productivity. But at the same time, Making working hours more flexible 
helping workers to have the possibility to organize the work schedules in line with their personal needs gives a better work-life balance, which, why does that benefit employers? Why does that raise productivity? Because of something called reciprocity. Reciprocity is just a fancy way of saying, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. I mean, so in fact, what you're really doing when you're offering workers flexibility, uh, and it can indeed be a real competitive advantage for employers, is you're saying, okay, I'm going to help you, I'm going to empower you to be able to organize your work life, your schedules, and in some cases also where you work, like with telework, in line with your personal needs. And workers in turn, we know this not only from this report, but the entire social science literature on the topic says that workers respond by saying, hey, my employer is doing for me, helping me, allowing me to have better work-life balance. And as a return, I'm gonna give them more effort, I'm gonna work my best, I'm gonna deliver my best product, and at the same time, I'm gonna be less likely to miss work, so absenteeism is gonna go down. I'm gonna be less likely to leave, so staff turnover is gonna go down. You know, So higher productivity, lower absenteeism, and lower staff turnover, all are potential benefits of reduced, more flexible, Schedules. And which is more important? Is it the, the, the number of hours worked or is it the work schedule? They're both quite important, each in their own way. As I said, particularly the longer the working hours, the less productive they are. You know, there's declining marginal productivity. There's shorter working hours on the one hand that's higher marginal productivity. You know what I mean. Productivity at the margin, the extra hour of work simply doesn't deliver the same results as the earlier hour of work. But the schedules on top of it then can augment any level. So at any level of working hours, you can improve your productivity by allowing more flexibility in how the schedule is organized, by allowing workers to be able to organize it in line with their personal needs because then workers will produce more. There's another issue related to that too, which is if workers can work when they're most productive, they're gonna do better. So I might not be a morning person. I might do my work better, better later in the day. So it's an advantage for you to manage me by results, not by physical presence, not by whether you know I happen to be sitting in a chair at any given time. Have a results-based management system, focus on results, and by doing that, I can do my work whenever it's most convenient for me, you know, and also when I'm at my most productive. Or conversely, maybe you're a morning person. So you don't want to be working later in the day. You want to start early. You know, you want to get up first thing in the morning and get going. And so with this kind of flexibility, you can work at those times and in those places where you can be most productive. That's all the reasons that can come together to give you improved productivity. But, I mean, you're, you're a white-collar worker. I'm a white-collar worker. I mean, is this only for people like us? Or, or what about other sectors of the economy, blue-collar workers, agricultural workers, and so forth? Yes, well, it can certainly be for them, but not in the same form. I mean, for example, you know, if you're working in, in, in some kind of blue-collar occupation, you can't really talk about telework because it's very hard to perform those jobs remotely, at least most of those jobs. If you're working, you know, as a shop clerk or something like that, or you're working in a restaurant, obviously you have to be physically present. But you can still offer workers more choices, more options about when they work, even with shift work. It's a perfect example. That's a very old style of flexibility but you can manage it very different ways. 
you can say everybody has to take these shifts and, and, and just organize it that way and just randomly parcel out the shifts or say, now you work day shift, now you work evening shift, now you work night shift. Or you can turn it around and say, what do you prefer? And you can put, because if you have different people with different preferences, like for example, with night work, you can put people on those shifts with those hours that they prefer. Some people like working nights. Other people can't stand it. It's very hard to do, but there are some people who simply are better at it. So you see what I mean? Even with the most basic kind of, of, of flexibility, you can offer workers choice and influence over their working hours, which in turn can bring you better results. So where did this idea come from that, you know, more working time, literally more hours on the job is better and that, you know, fewer working hours, less than eight hours a day, five days a week is basically slacking? Where did we get this from? <laughs> that's a very, very, very old, old question. I think it's something that's just sort of ingrained in culture and it probably came from from the dawn of the Industrial Revolution and people working very long hours and the association of long working hours with hard work. So if you were working hard, you were working very long hours. I mean, I think a lot of that is this cultural leftover that we have. Of course, you know, there's some truth to it when you're working on very low productivity situations. For example, when you're working in industries and sectors that really don't allow you to have very high productivity, you don't have access to technology, or you don't have access to tools that enable you to be more productive. But as we've improved over time, and that just isn't just white-collar occupations, that's blue-collar occupations with computer-assisted design, computer-assisted manufacturing, all the kinds of tools that you have today. I mean, you got to engage people's brains, too. I mean, and part of it is really trying to figure out how to work smarter. Get people who know the jobs to help you figure out how to organize them best and when that they can best be performed. And if you do that, then you can get past this cultural myth of long working hours equals high productivity and in fact realize that focused working time is what gets you the high productivity. So we've just been through COVID, which was basically a, a two, three-year massive experiment in in flexible working, in a, a, applied at a practical yeah, yeah. level. Yeah. So what are the kind of the key takeaways from that, if we want to, to get the best out of the COVID experience, are there any lessons that we can learn for that and apply to create a better working future? Yes, there really are. I think this is a great opportunity. And it's already happening. The thing is, it's already happening spontaneously. What we had was actually, I even call it the great pandemic teleworking experiment. Because you had countries, good examples are in Eastern Europe, Romania and Bulgaria that saw between two and 3,000% increases in the proportion of workers teleworking, going from a very low base to everybody basically who could do it. So now I think we're in a position where we can say, hey, I mean, we've learned teleworking can be something that is a crisis response measure, as well as something that you can use in normal cases. Same way with reduced working hours, because work sharing, which is also called short time work, where you reduce working hours instead you know, of cutting your labor force. Say for example, you're cutting back 20%. Say you have a 20% reduction in demand. Well, you could lay off 20% of your workforce, or you could 
spread that 20% reduction over five and uh, over all five days, you know, across your whole workforce, and thereby have everybody working on a four-day work week and still retaining employment with all the concomitant benefits for themselves, their families, and the economy. So what you're saying there is that a more flexible working approach kind of reduces the need for that blunt hire and fire tool that is used for economic adjustment. Not only that, let me point out, it doesn't just benefit workers and employers during the economic crisis. And this wasn't the first time. This was also deployed during the Great Recession, during the global financial crisis. You know, I talked about a lot about that, and I produced a book on work sharing based on that experience. It doesn't just do that at that point during the crisis. It also benefits them after the crisis. One of the things that we've seen is those companies that hung on to their workers during the the, the COVID-19 crisis actually benefited because after the crisis, they could just ramp up their workforce, you know, I mean, to full to full time because they still had them. Whereas a lot of the companies that said, okay, you know, I mean, we're just going to let you go. Then when they went to try to get those workers back, they weren't available anymore. And right now, we are in a, a position where in a lot of countries, there appears to be a labor shortage. People can't hire. Yes. Do you see this working time, work-life balance issue as a possible tool for, for resolving that? And actually, indeed, uh, a competitiveness issue for employers who are competing for the best staff? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, this is a tremendous tremendous advantage for those employers who are willing to be really aggressive in promoting flexibility and saying, I mean, it's a very clear deal what you're offering, right? You say, hey, you want flexibility? It's very clear that in the wake of the pandemic, people are looking for more flexibility than ever before in terms of not only when they work, but also where they work. So it's when and where, okay? It's the time and it's also the place. And Employers who are saying, hey, we're willing to offer you that flexibility. You can work when and where you choose. And we all we ask in return is that you hit our targets. We managed you by results, you know, and, and as long as you hit your targets, as long as you deliver for us, then you have all the flexibility that you could want. And, and that's a huge competitive advantage because not only... Are you avoiding turnover? You're actually becoming a magnet that's attracting the top talent to you. The best people are going to come beating beating a path to your door. Conversely, if you don't do that, you're going to do, I forget which journal. I saw it in one very high-level journal. I can't remember if it was Harvard Business Review or what it was, but it was a very academic, very, very well-researched article. But they had the most pithy quote you could ever dream of to draw in the audience, which is, let me work remotely or I quit. I thought that that was really amazing. Or presumably, let me work remotely or I don't come and work for you in the first place. Yeah, there you go. And of course, it presumably, I mean, one thing we saw during COVID is that some groups who had not been able to do the nine to five in the office suddenly found they could re-enter the workforce, albeit perhaps on some kind of flexible or part-time basis. So do you see this as a tool that could also bring people back into the workforce? Absolutely. 
I think it's interesting that you say that because in fact, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I did more webinars during the pandemic because I also handled telework in addition to working time for the ILO. And, and one of the first, it might've been the very first webinar I did was with our, with our disability unit. Um, and actually we had a webinar on telework for individuals with disabilities and how telework could be an opportunity for individuals with disabilities to be able to be integrated or reintegrated into the workforce. And, and in some ways it was kind of a, a, a great leveler because whereas before perhaps they might've suffered discrimination because they couldn't physically come to the workplace or because it was so much harder for them to physically come to the workplace. Suddenly when everybody had to work remotely, they were just the same as anybody else. Hey, I got a computer, you know, I got access to the internet, you know, I can do anything anybody else can do just because I can't physically come into the office or can't do so very easily. I can still do everything that anybody else could do. And all of a sudden that was a huge, huge um, selling point, um, I think for people in that situation. They're not the only case, but I thought it was so clear and that that was the first webinar I did really sticks in my mind. Okay, but we should make it clear that there can also be, you know, there is more flexi working. There are far more models of flexi working, which I, I find very interesting. You know, the number of types, hours averaging, compressed work weeks, flexi time, on call, part time, shift work, so many different kinds. But they come with disadvantages, including, you know, potentially forms of discrimination, unpredictability, yes. bad health impacts yes, on yes. things like if you're constantly on call, we know about zero hours contracts. Yes, yes. How do we make sure that a, a brave new world of flexi-working actually focuses on increasing the benefits and doesn't come with a whole new catalogue of disadvantages? We are going to need some kind of control and regulation of this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what's needed, and I'm certainly not going to prescribe, I mean, certainly no one size is going to fit all, but... At the same time, I think you got to have a framework. And that's one of the things when, when people have said this to me, including ILO constituents, including employers and workers and governments have said to me, hey, what do you need? I mean, I've said, I think you do. What kind of a regulatory framework do you need? I think you need a regulatory framework. I think you need to have something that's based on social dialogue, that's based on agreement, you know, amongst the parties, amongst workers and employers, and enshrined, you know, in, in collective agreements or if necessary, in laws and regulations. But they need to be flexible. One of the examples that I've given since the beginning is the European Framework Agreement on Telework, which is from 2002. The social partners at EU level have now, in fact, begun to renegotiate that directive. But one of the things that I thought was amazing about that is though it was done in 2002, it remained relevant right up to the pandemic because it was flexible. It provided protections to workers. It provided a framework. It didn't allow for the wild, wild west, you know, but at the same time, it was flexible enough that different sectors could adapt it to their needs, that different enterprises could adapt it to their needs, different occupations, different groups of workers. So I think a flexible framework, a la the European work, I mean, uh, pardon me, the European telework um, agreement of 2002 really has the potential to improve um, both working conditions writ large 
not only working time, but working conditions writ large, and at the same time, to improve productivity and business outcomes. John, this is a fascinating subject, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about it in the months and years to come. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for for this podcast. So my thanks very much to you for your time. And if you would like to know more about this report and its conclusions on working time and work-life balance, you can find it all on the ILO's website. So for now, let me wish you goodbye, and please join us again soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.